0: Share on that, I thought there is so much you can say on prayer. What will I share this morning? And I felt very much taken to why do I pray? Why do I like to pray? What motivates me to pray? So I know from the beginning I always loved prayer because for for me the most important thing is relationship. You connect to God when you pray, you get into your closet, it's just God's presence. That's what I liked. But really the understanding, we we do want to see answers to our prayer. It's not just, you know, the devotional that we like in the presence of the Lord, but um, the understanding and and wanting to see answers. And what I want to share with you this morning is what really when I understood that from the word, the necessity to pray. So my first question is, why do we pray? Are there any slides available? Yeah, why do we pray? That is what I want to address this morning because um we often ask ourselves people say is prayer really important? I mean, we have so many people does God hear my prayer? Is it necessary to pray or does he just want me to pray? But anyway, he's sovereign, he's all powerful, he's omnipotent. He can do things he wants to do without my prayer. Really? That is the question this morning. Why Do we pray? And to be able to answer that, I want to go back to the book of the beginnings, to Genesis. That is where we really, where God placed the foundation and when we understand that, um, that motivates us to pray. Because um, even if God has the power and he knows what he wants to do, but we need to know what happened. So when we go back to Genesis, we see that God from creation, from the beginning, he chose to work through mankind. He created man and he wants to work with man and through man, not independent of man. And when we understand that God's original design, then we know why we pray. That is the answer for the necessity in prayer. And in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 28, um, when we read in Genesis 1, 26, it says, God said, let us make them in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Rule. Over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God said in that verse, first of all, we are created in this image for the purpose of ruling. 27 repeats that. We are made in the image of God. 28 God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So first of all, we see we are created in the image of God, and then we see He gave us dominion and authority. When He created Adam, He made Adam His manager of the earth. He is the steward, he is the governor, he had the authority. God had given it to him. So when you are entrusted by somebody with something, God gives him the authority. It was his responsibility to steward and manage the earth. But at the same time, his freedom, he could give it away. He could give it away. And unfortunately, that's a choice he made. He gave it away because he disobeyed the command of God not to eat from the one uh, tree in the garden. Um, I want to read two other scriptures that just confirm that that, God, that Adam was God's manager. It's in Genesis 2, verse 15. Also, God said, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That was his, uh, his task, his assignment from God. Work the earth and take care of it. In Psalm 8, Verse 3 to 8, I won't read all verse, verse but in verse 5 it says, You made him, that's Adam, a little lower than the heavenly beings. Verse 6, you made him a ruler over the works of your hand. You put everything under his feet. And verse 7 and 8 repeats what we read in Genesis. Over the birds of the air and the fish in the sea and over all creation. That was the dominion, the authority God had given to Adam. So what is authority? I just want to give a definition of authority. It's the power or the right to give commands. Adam had the right to make commands. He had the power to it. He could enforce obedience. He could take action. Adam had the authority. He could make the final decisions. He had jurisdiction over the world. That was Adam's responsibility. But then God gave him the responsibility as steward and as manager but God is still the owner. God never gave away the ownership of the earth. Um, The assignment of governing was Adam's, but the ownership is still God's, and that's in Psalm 115, verse 16. We read, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. So the ownership is still God's, but the stewardship he has assigned to us, to man. And I just want to say, I mean, in the light of our recent series of God, um, money, and legacy, that comes out in all areas of our lives. God has made us stewards, managers. Whatever he gives to us, whatever he entrusts to us, we are stewards. And when we spoke about, um, like, our tithes, um, we think the first 10% belong to God. To be honest, your whole income belongs to God. All 100% of your salary belongs to God. 10% you bring back to him, but the rest is you steward. How do you steward it? You can waste it or you can, as uh, Malcolm shared with us, have a budget, work according to budget, um, but you are to steward what you receive. And the same for business people, I have to tell you, those that own a business, you don't really own it. God owns it. You are a steward. You are the governor. So it's really when we understand that, but it's an immense responsibility. You have a Business, We say you own a business, but to understand the responsibility God gives us. He has given us the authority that we just said to enforce obedience, to make commands. It's a responsibility he has given to us in this authority he entrusted to us. And how things go on planet Earth depends on man. That was God's choice. He has given us the authority. It depended on Adam and his offspring. If the garden, if the Earth would have remained a paradise, It would have been because of Adam. It became a mess. Why? It was because of Adam. If the serpent gained control, it was because of Adam, his um, disobedience. So humanity really was in charge. That was God's idea from the beginning. And so complete and final was Adam's authority over the earth that not God but Adam had the ability to give it away. God has given him complete authority. And that's what Adam did through disobedience. He gave it away. And I just want to, um, just that that even Jesus acknowledged it. In Luke 4, verse 6 to 7, it's a time when Jesus went for the 40-day fast in the desert, and he was tempted by the enemy. And the last of the three temptations was he took Jesus to a mountain and said to him, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. I will give you all the splendor, all the authority. Just bow to me and worship me. Jesus did not correct him on that; he didn't negate it. He knew it was the truth. Satan had the authority. What did he do? He just, it just was a heart issue. He just said, "Away from me! I will worship God only. I will not bow to you." But he didn't negate that Adam had uh, that, that Satan had the uh, authority. Adam had given it to him. So, um, and then Jesus himself. He called Satan the prince or the ruler of this world three times in John, so he absolutely acknowledged that Satan was the ruler of the earth because um, Adam had given him the authority. And so complete and final was God's decision to do the things on the earth through human beings that it cost God the incarnation to get it back, to get to regain what Adam gave away. God Himself had to become. Human. Incarnation just God became man in flesh. He had to become a human. He couldn't interfere as God. He had to come as part of the human race because that was his decision from the beginning. He will work through man, and he himself submitted himself to that. Um, That's the proof, the final um, decision that God works through humans. That's his link forever to, um, to authority on the earth as a human being and the activity on the earth. Okay, and then um, when we fast forward to the cross, that is when uh, Jesus yeah, became man, even on the earth, while he walked on the earth, what did he do? He defeated the works of the enemy. He healed the sick. He delivered the demon-possessed. He raised the dead. He cleansed the leopard. All the works of the enemy, he did that. Um He defeated the enemy while he walked on earth, and then finally, of course, he destroyed the devil um, when he was crucified on the cross, when he descended to hell, and when he was raised again. He took back the authority of the enemy, and he, um, as a man, as a man, he faced the enemy as a man, he took back the authority and had it again. And then, of course, um, he gave it to us again but this is the reason and the necessity of prayer that he has given us the authority he works through us he himself had to become man he had to be part of the human race to act on the earth so he wants to so when he did it how much more we he ascended to heaven but he said now go all the authority i give to you now you trample on snakes and scorpions you defeat the enemy so that is the authority we have And that is when really I understood this transfer from Adam to the enemy, from the enemy only to be taken back by Jesus as man, not as God. And then he gave it to us. That is what motivates me to prayer. Because all of a sudden you realize, you have tremendous responsibility and authority. And though God is sovereign and all-powerful, Scripture clearly tells us he limited himself to man, as we have seen now. He limited himself to work through through man, the affairs of earth. He governs through human beings. And even if the Lord himself wants to do something, where he made his will clear in the word, he gave us promises. That's the theme of this week, knowing God as promise keepers. But even if he has given us promises, if he makes his will clear, we can't just say, oh, he wants to do it, so he will do it anyway. Willie, that's the question. And we see so often in the word. um, We know God wants all men to be saved and none to perish. And he wants people to go and share. And yet he doesn't just save everybody. He says to us, ask the Lord to send laborers into the harvest field. We still have to ask for that. He says to us, when um, he wants his kingdom to be established like he himself did by healing the sick and cleansing the leopard. He wants to um, establish his kingdom on earth. And yet when the disciples asked him how to pray, he said, pray, your kingdom done, your will be done. So we have to enforce what he has um, given us, the authority. We have to pray for it, even if he knows us before we need. And in James 4, verse 2, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. So asking is important. We have to ask. It's, but it's not a job of convincing God to do something. He made his will clear. It's more a partnership. We work with him. We work hand in hand with him. And that is effective prayer. That's a partnership with God. We don't convince him. He's not unwilling to do something. But as I said, he limited himself to work through human beings. He wants to work through Maine. that was his choice from the beginning. And that is what the partnership is. It's not that we have to conquer his reluctance. He doesn't want to answer. We have to pray and press in and please God and beg. That's not what it's about. It's a partnership in prayer. And Augustine was one of our church fathers. I think he lived around the 4th century. He said, without God, we cannot. And we all know that from John 15, where it says... Um, I can do nothing without God. And I think we quite know it. Without God, we can do nothing. But without us, God will not. And that is why we think God can do it. He's sovereign. He can do it anyway. But as I shared, the, the legal reasons that God has to, on how we work from Eden to the cross, he is not reluctant, but it's because of those legal reasons that we need to pray. And God, yeah, works through the prayers of his people, even when it comes to fulfill his own desire and will, as I just mentioned. And I just want to show you, even in the word, God, the promise keeper, it still meant um, we had to pray. When you read about Elijah, um, in 1 Kings 18, verse 1, it says, after three years of drought in Israel, God comes to um, Elijah and says, go present yourself to Ahab, I will send rain on the land. So that is what... um, Elijah did. He went to Ahab, and we hear about um, the encounters of Baal and all that. But God said to him from the beginning, I will send rain on the land. So after the encounters with Baal and that whole thing, what did Elijah do? He went up to Mount Carmel, and now he prayed. But God said he would send rain. Where's the rain? Now he prayed earnestly. He pressed into God to ask for that rain. And he sent a servant to go on the horizon and look for a cloud. And he comes back and says, nothing. So he prayed some more. Go and look again. Nothing. Seven times. He prayed earnestly. And then when the servant said the first time, there's a cloud as big as a fist on the horizon. That is when he knew he had the breakthrough. He got up and got, went on. But that shows us, even if it's God's promise, we cannot say God will do it anyway because he promised it. We still need to pray and that's what we will do this week we have personal promises that we haven't seen come to come to pass yet and we cannot sit back and say God said this for my life that is his purpose for me you have to pray or for our church we have lots of promises for the church for the building fund for the nation that's what we want to do this week because as we hear it's important also in Daniel Daniel was a prophet in the exile it was a time When Israel was disobedient to the commands of God in their own land, they served all the other gods, and God took them into um, exile in Babylon. And Daniel was a God-fearing man. He was a teenager when he came there, and he was a God-fearing man, reading the word, being in the word, reading. And one day he read in Jeremiah that Jeremiah foretold that exile and said, I will send you into exile if you are disobedient. But also Jeremiah said, 70 years the captivity. Then, oh, 70 years, it's almost over. He didn't sit back and think, okay, God will take us back to Israel next year or whenever the time is up. No, that is when it started to pray, really. In Daniel 9, verse 3, we read that he gave attention to the Lord and seek him with prayer and supplication. In fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So even in fasting. So once he knew and understood the promise, he didn't sit back and think God will do it automatically. No. Now he pressed into prayer even more than before and in fasting because he realized prayer is always a partnership of the human being working hand in hand with God toward the um, realization of God's redemptive promises. He makes them known to us. He speaks to us. He shows us what he wants to do. But we have to work with him to see his purposes come to pass on earth. And in spite of his sovereignty, he is dependent on man. But as I spoke, Jesus uh, took the authority back from the enemy. And that is one thing. On the, um, our inactivity, when we don't pray, it will never, ever nullify the atonement. The atonement stands. But it makes the work of the atonement ineffective for other people. If I don't pray for the lost, it can be ineffective for them. But the atonement cannot be nullified. And I remember I often heard Reinhard Bonke sharing that when he was once invited to a radio show with agnostics and unbelievers and Muslims and all the whole, doodle, and he was as a Christian there, and the journalist, and, and Reinhard shared a lot on, on salvation and on the blood. And the journalist um, mocked Reinhard and said, but the blood is around for 2,000 years. Look at what mess the world is in. And Reinhard said, God, how do I answer? And a quick reply, what about soap? How long is soap around? We still have dirty people. Yeah? You have to apply the soap to be clean. You have to apply the atonement for your own life. Apply it. And that is why the atonement will not be nullified. If somebody doesn't choose for God, the atonement is still available for him. But it's ineffective. Before it's applied, it's ineffective in your life. And that is where we come in. um, People who do not know, as I said, we have got the authority. We can pray for them. And we do our part. And so Christ conquered Satan at at the cross. But we have to enforce this victory that we have given already. And I want to um, go to Ephesians 2, verse 6 to make it clear that we have the same authority that Christ had because we are seated with him in heavenly places. In Ephesians 2 verse 6, we read, Christ raised us up with Christ, God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That is our place. Physically, we are still down on earth. As we heard, God needs a human being. He works through us. We are physically. But spiritually, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So we have got heaven's perspective. When we pray, we can hear God's solution to certain problems and we pray the solution. We don't pray the problem. We pray from heaven down. That's where we are seated um, spiritually in heavenly places. So we do not fight for the victory, but we, we pray from a position of victory. We are seated in victory in the heavenlies. That is our <clears throat> position. And from there we pray, but we have to, as human beings here on the world, earth, we have to pray and um, enforce the victory. Yeah, so when I go back to the to the first slide, just to say the questions, why why do we pray? Is it necessary, or does God just want me to pray? Isn't he sovereign? I hope you all have a bit more of a revelation of the necessity of prayer, the power, the authority we have. For me, that was life-changing when I really understood that. And in closing, I just want to say to you, please all, I mean, Helma has encouraged you all to do it all. Make some time. You know that... I, on corporate prayer in Deuteronomy um, 32, verse 30, we read, How could one man chase a thousand or two put ten thousand to flight? You know, in God's economy, it's not addition, it's multiplication. It's not one, one, two a thousand, two, two thousand, no, two, ten thousand. So come and don't miss out. I know when we pray corporately, there's a corporate anointing, there's a corporate authority that's released and it's so much easier to 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 pray when you come together you tune into that you will have the benefit so i just want to encourage everyone to make some time during the week and join the corporate prayer with that i call on margaret
1: Paper. I don't know paper. (laughs) Great. Um, So I'm going to touch on fasting. Why we fast as the body of Christ. Why we fast corporately. And how does that impact our lives? My first fast that I had, I used to, I mean, I'm going to give you a short testimony. Before Jesus, I was the weirdest child, I think, on earth. My parents will test If you want to know what I was before Jesus, ask my parents. My mother said to me yesterday, What am I going to do with this child? And um, I used to smoke. Yeah, cigarettes. Benson and Hedges, special lights. (laughs) I used to smoke. And uh, one day my father caught me at... uh, at work, and I was holding my cigarette, but he was coming from behind, and then when I noticed he's coming, I just dropped it, and he said, come here. What are you doing? Stress! Stress! <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, that night, I went home very late, said, when I come home, I can just go to bed and sleep, you know, don't have to yell out, but I know I got, I, I received the message I needed to receive. So after I got born again, I told the Lord, like, okay, the first thing I need to quit is smoking. And, um, ironically you know pastor jensen franklin is a great proponent of fasting he really loves to call fast and uh, i was listening to him and i went to buy the book on fasting and uh, i just fasted it was my first fast i knew nothing about it all i knew is i must go without food and i must pray and ask the lord to help me quit smoking and um so there i was came to church and i was shaking i was so hungry I was so hungry. I went to Foodman Brock to buy some stuff for for work because it's just one day, Lord, one day, but you must help me quit smoking. And um, I went to Foodman Brock and I walked past the meat, you know, the raw meat, but it looked so good. I was like, (laughs) And uh, and then at 3 o'clock, I said, I can't anymore. I'm having food. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm having food. So fasting, that's where I learned that fasting is about the position of your heart. It's not the fact that you are letting go of food. God saw my heart. And after that, I never had a cigarette again. I mean, it's been, I don't know how long. But that is how God operates. When we lay our lives down, we say, God, I am going to seek you because I need something very specific from you. Fasting is not twisting God's hand. We don't go to God and we're like, yeah, if you don't do this, Lord. It's really about understanding that God is sovereign. And like Barbara said, that we come and we partner with God. And we lay aside certain things that are really, you know, TV, food. You know, all of us love food. Um, I think we can see after winter, some of us can see we love food. But um, laying aside food, the pleasures, entertainment, and saying, God, it's all about you for the next seven days. I want to press into you because sometimes you're not going to get the answer. But we are, we are charged to ask. God says ask, seek, and knock. You might not get the answer but in that time, many times God will do something in you. He will tell you, you need to do this and then you can hear very clearly how can you obey if you've never heard? If, if you can't hear God, so you're putting aside all the stuff that clutters you know, your spirit, that clutters your, your body and then you're saying God, I want to hear you. And he will maybe say to you, I need you to go to Pastor Chris to lay hands on you. I need you to go pray with Pastor Hilma, whatever. And then you go there, and then the breakthrough comes. So it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to twist God's arm, but we are pressing into God. So the church has called a fast. The trumpet has been blown, as Pastor Simon said uh, earlier on in the year. The trumpet has been blown. The leaders have called a fast. To give you an example, um, in the Bible, Ezra, they were going back, the book of Ezra chapter 8, they were going back to Jerusalem um, going back to restore that which God had for them. And Ezra said, um, he came there and he's like, he told the king, it's okay, don't worry about us. We will find our way there. So he already told the king, we don't need your support. Our God will take care of us. And then he realized, Yo, the journey might be a bit dangerous and we need protection. So he called, he proclaimed the fast. And so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey. So the first thing he said is they humbled themselves. Fasting is around humbling ourselves. And the humble, a humble and contrite spirit is so attractive to God. It is so attractive. It's like somebody who comes before God and says, God, I need you. Fasting is for those people who say, I cannot do it without God. I cannot, God, I can. I have done everything. I need money. I've asked the bank. The bank doesn't want to give me. I'm in a financial problem. I cannot do anything without you. That's who fasting is for. Fasting is really a position of the heart, a humility that comes before God and says, God, you need to help me. And then we ask. And then we say what it is that we're asking God for. So we ask him for what it is that we're looking for. So Ezra said, God, we need a safe journey. And I love that it says, so we fasted and petitioned. I want to tell you what petitioning means. It's a formal written request. Typically one signed by many people. Appealing to authority with respect to a particular cause. So it's what we're doing these seven days. We are petitioning God to answer the promises that he's given us. To answer us on the promises that we are yet to see. So we are coming together. We might not be signing something or maybe we can On the 23rd, we might not be signing a formal petition, but we are coming together and we are appealing to an authority, which is God. With respect to a particular cause, and that is God, we want to hear you. We want to see the promises that you have for us. So what is it that you are trusting God for? What is it in your personal life? We've heard already for, I think the last three months, God is saying, I'm doing something new. I'm doing something new. And the intercessors will know I love to call fast intercessors. We are fasting. You know, we can't hear it. What do you think God is saying? And we're all saying something different. We're like, okay, let's fast. Let's ask the Lord. Let's clear ourselves and let's fast and ask the Lord. We've heard that God is saying, I'm doing something new. So what is the new thing he's doing in your life? What is the new thing he's doing in the church? What is the new thing? He even said, I'm doing a new thing in this nation. God gave a word to Namibia so many times. He's given a word to our church that we will be a prophetic voice. He says that there are business people coming out of this church. He said that there are leaders that are going to transform this city and this nation that are coming from this church. Have you seen it yet in your life? I'm sure God has spoken to you in the middle of the night through a dream. You are there, you know, you are the the leader in the city of Vintuk, the CEO, and you wake up and you're like, oh, God, what is that? Jesus. But then he says, that's where I'm taking you. I know a gentleman called Lesiba Motato. He's um, at Rosebank, Every Nation. And he senses that God told him he's going to be the governor of the Reserve Bank. And he prepared himself. He prepared himself. God said, Quit this course that you are doing. I want you to, you ought, he said, you ought to study economics. And Lesiba is on his way to the top. And I believe as he prepares himself, as he goes and in obedience with God, he will get there. Just like Joseph. What are the promises that God has given you? Normally in a corporate fast, God says, when we humble ourselves, um, when he gave the scripture in Second Chronicles chapter 7, uh, Solomon had just dedicated the temple. And I really believe the reason why God said the things he said. He said, then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said, in this is verse 12 in chapter 7, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. And then he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then they will hear from heaven and will forgive. And I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So I really felt like I've asked the Lord, but why did you say when you shut up the heavens and there's no rain or command, the locusts, I mean, Lord, they just committed and dedicated the whole temple to you. And I felt like the Lord was saying he knew. He knew that we would disobey. He knew that the Israelites were going to do their own thing. And with disobedience, there's something that happens. God, you know, God is telling you, go to this door, and you decide to go to another door. So it takes time now for us to get back to the right door, and you are kicking and screaming, and God is uh, saying, just go to the right door. What are you doing at this door? And he knew that they would walk in disobedience. But then he says, but when you humble yourself, which is fasting, and you pray, and you seek my face, and you turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear you from heaven. I will forgive your sin. Which is probably the sin of disobedience. And I will heal your land. So that's what God's going to do. What we're doing this week is. We are humbling ourselves. We are setting aside food. We are setting aside entertainment. We're setting aside social media. Guys, it 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 is distracting. I'm not saying that, you know, if you can handle it, by all means, go ahead. But... I just feel, I just sense that that stuff, social media is distracting, especially when you're seeking God. It's like watching TV and you're trusting the Lord, like really for protection. And the first thing you do is watch the news and there's a massive accident and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to go today. How the heck am I? You know, like it just sows fear in your heart. So you're like, I'd rather leave the TV behind. So that's what we're doing this week. We're humbling ourselves. We're praying. We're seeking the face of the Lord. And we're moving on. And I wanted to just say that fasting is not for God. Fasting is for us. Fasting is not for God, it is for us. And when we call a fast, when the leader said there's a fast, there's a corporate fast, the Holy Spirit comes and he encourages you and he gives you the strength to fast. So fasting is about grace. You have the grace of God to fast, especially the people who've never fasted before. I mean, I fasted till three o'clock that afternoon. I woke up midnight. I wasn't fasting till three. I've never done it before. I had never done it before. But at three, I said, God, that's it. I can't anymore. But God saw the heart and he gave me grace until three o'clock. He's going to give us grace for this fast until the 23rd of September when Passion Night is done. Grace will be there. I'm going to touch later on on what kind of fast we're doing. So I just wanted to encourage you. That as I said earlier, fasting is about humbling ourselves and seeking God. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. But he shows favor to the humble. God is attracted to humility. You might think, oh, whatever. But God is so attracted to humility. And when we decide this week, God... We're coming before you, and we just laying aside ourselves, whatever I want, whatever I desire, whatever I think God should give me. I'm going to put that aside. Our theme is knowing God, and that is what we need to do. We're going to lay ourselves aside and say, I want to know this God of miracles. I want to know how he operates. I want to know his will. I want to know how he speaks. I want to hear what he's saying concerning my life. I want to see these promises come to pass. So it's really about humility, going down on our knees. And I mean, in the Old Testament, you'll see all the the leaders, they always used to say, and then we humbled ourselves, and then we humbled ourselves, and then we humbled ourselves, and then we lay ourselves aside. We said, God, I cannot without you. I need you every day, every minute, every hour. I need you if I want to see this happening in my life. I need you. I remember the one day I walked into the office and I sat down on my chair and I'm like, (sighs) and I said, God, this is your business. If you do not show up, I don't know what's going to happen. And then I don't know what happened after that. I just felt like the joy of the Lord came over me. And then my colleague walks in and she's also, I feel so overwhelmed. And she just starts crying and I'm like, Oh Jesus. So it is something that's happening. So we quickly, come guys, let's pray. Let's pray. And we quickly prayed and we trusted God that this overwhelming feeling will go. But that that coming to God and saying, yes, you've given me the stars to do. So if God has called you to be a CEO, you've given me the stars to do, Lord. If you do not help me, I cannot do it. Fasting also is about coming, it's, it's like an attitude of faith. It polishes our faith. It lifts us up in faith. And the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you know how we always say, nothing is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There's one impossibility. It is impossible to please God. So when we fast, we step into faith. And then we are together. One can put a thousand to flight, eh? but two says 10,000. Now imagine if all of us are here every day. And I stand with my sister and we pray together for what she needs. And we stand together, pray together for what the church needs. Our bolding fund is waiting. And so we're coming together and we're saying, God, the promise that you've given us, that we're bolding this church to see your kingdom come. When all of us, every single one here, is here this week. And we are saying, Lord, We are holding together. We are going to put things to flight. We're going to put darkness to flight. It will have nothing on us. And God is right ahead of us, in front of us, leading the way. Because anyone, so I want you to keep in your heart as we humble ourselves. God knows that anyone who comes before him, who comes to him, must believe that he exists. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I want us to not just go like, I don't know, Lord. Just let faith arise, as we said this morning. He is the God of miracles. God does not change. He doesn't today, he's nice to you. Tomorrow, he's nasty to you. He doesn't change. We are the ones who change. And so we want to come into alignment with who he is and what he is, what he says over us. And lay ourselves down and say, God, we want to know you. Fasting is an act of worship. Um, in the Bible, there was a lady called Anna. Anna. Um, just after Jesus was born, or before Jesus was born, I'm not sure. But she used to always just go and fast. It says that she fasted and she prayed, but just worshiping God. So sometimes we do that. We just come there and we just come to worship him. But it is an act of worship. It's laying our side, our bodily needs, our needs, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So when we come this week, it is worship. Unto God. And it's a sweet smelling fragrance. He says. "Mm, It smells good at every nation. It smells good. At every nation. Romans 12. That's the scripture reference. Fasting is really denying the flesh. And rising up in the spirit. Those who fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Will reap death. But those who fulfill. The lusts or the things of the spirit. They will reap life and peace. So that is really what fasting is about. Fasting is sacrificial. Letting go of our comfort zones. Letting go of our things of peace. Especially some of us who love food. Salad. Chicken. Nando's. I think I need shares in Nando's. I eat so much. (laughs) So... Fasting is a really around sacrificing and saying, God, I don't know, man. I'm gonna leave these things aside. It is a sacrifice to fast. Many people don't like fasting, like, Lord, just one day. Why must it be seven days? Why must the pastor say seven days? Why can't we just do it? God must you heard our prayer already day one. But it is a sacrifice. But it is a sacrifice that is rewarded. Over and over and over again, we have seen God rewarding fasting and prayer. And I just wanted to just talk about uh, how fasting is warfare. Daniel was praying and he started fasting, I think, on day one. He says, the, on, day, on the 21st day, the angel came to him and said, Oh, on the first day already, I heard you and God sent me to come to you and answer your prayer. But he was caught up in the heavenlies, fighting the prince of Persia, and only on the twenty-first day, through fasting and prayer, it is warfare. Therefore, when we start on day one, we hold on to God. We ask Him, God, strengthen me, strengthen me, give me more grace. Yes, it's warfare because the enemy will come and tell you, "I." The Lord has already answered. What's your problem? You know how you wake up this. Mo- how many of you woke up this morning like, "I," we are fasting. Aye, my sister, you have a bit of a stomach ache. Maybe you need to eat something. You know, my brother, uh, maybe you need to do this or whatever. The enemy will tell you things this week. You will have headaches, and that's normal because your physiological body is like you th- the toxins you're releasing. There's no more Nandos and all the whatever coming in. So your body's releasing toxins. You are going to have headaches. But the enemy will come and make it bigger than what it is. It will just look like it's a mountain. I can't, Lord. I think I'll have some Nando's. It is warfare. It is warfare. We are fighting things in the spirit. We all know that things happen in the spirit before they happen on earth. We had to do something. And I remember Barbara prayed and she said, it is settled in the spirit. Now we will see the manifestation of that here on earth. So what you settle in the heavenlies as we lay our our lives down, we're saying, God, we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to fast and pray. What we settle in the heavenlies will come to pass on earth. God is good like that. But it is warfare. And we need to stick it out until we see the answer that God brings to us. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. It's about getting ready for God's answer. It's not really just about, you know, um, God, but I fasted and prayed. In Isaiah 58, you guys must read mean, um, Church, read it, please. Isaiah 58 says, what is the fast that God is looking for? There is there is room and there is um, uh, word on what the kind of fast that God is looking for, and then there is a promise when we fast that way, God also gives us a promise. It says, "This is the fast that I have chosen." Um, so Isaiah fifty eight says. To bow down his head like a bulrush To spread out sackcloth and ashes Would you call this a fast An acceptable day to the Lord Is this not the fast that I have chosen To loose the bonds of wickedness To undo the heavy burdens To let the oppressed go free That you break every yoke Is it not to share your bread with the hungry And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out When you see the naked that you cover him And not hide yourself from your own flesh Then your light shall break forth like the morning your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. You will cry, and God will say, Here I am. So, where you haven't been hearing God on your promises, this is the fast. You know, Pastor Hilma said last week, I just sense, guys, God is doing something. It is awesome. It is awesome. Watch tonight. Watch Saturday. God is busy doing something. And it is beautiful. Your life will be shifted. The things that he said, that there's certain people that he's moving around, he's putting them in positions of influence. God is doing that now. And we need to commit ourselves fully to that. Fasting is really, and it's as we're saying, we're not saying, God, we're twisting your arm, make it happen. We're saying, God, I'm ready for your answer. Whatever that answer may be, you are sovereign. You are the one who called me. You are the one who promised the promise that you gave me. And I'm laying myself down and I'm waiting for you to answer. And it's really from, how do we do fasting? We refrain from food, TV, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram, yeah. You know, people left Facebook. Now they went over to (laughs) to Instagram. So he says, we refrain for spiritual purposes. From food, entertainment, for those who are married, sex, yeah, for a certain period of the past, no, guys, please, (laughs) and other (laughs) physical pleasures for spiritual purposes, we refrain from that. And normally we fast because we're seeking God for ministry purposes. In the Bible, uh, the disciples were trusting the Lord, Lord, who do we send? And and then they fasted and they prayed and then God said, set me aside Barnabas and, um, and Paul, that they will go do my work. And then we seek when we're setting leaders in place, the disciples were also saying, oh, we are supposed to be preaching the word and, and spending time with God in order that we may preach the word more effectively. But now we are dishing out food. We are running the soup kitchen. And uh, they started fasting and praying, and they asked the Lord, Lord, who should we set aside? And God said, set aside people, these men. But he didn't give names. He just said men. And I, one thing I remember, he said, "Huh? what did he say? Men who are filled with the Spirit. Of God, And they could identify those men and they will set in place to run the soup kitchen, if one can call it that. We seek God for God's wisdom when we fast. When we fast, we also ask God for deliverance and protection. Uh, many times, like Esther, the Israelites were going to be annihilated. That means sloshed off, like wiped off the face of the earth. And Esther said, I want you to call her fast. I love what Haman, I mean, with what, um, uh, what's, in, what's his name? Uh, Mordecai. I love what Mordecai said to him do not think that you are in the palace just because you are cute and pretty. But he did say, that's a paraphrase Jesus, thank you that you love me still. <laughs> you know, many people, when you paraphrase about, sister, what, what, come, uh, what message Bible is this? <laughs> and um, then Esther said, okay, Father, Went back, said, Mordecai, get the people together. Fast and pray for me that I can go before the king. So even that, that act of fast and pray to come before the king, fasting opens up the door that we can come before God. God, like because we are humbling ourselves, fasting opens up the door for us to come before the king. And they were protected. After that, God did everything in his power to make sure that the Israelites were not, not annihilated. And today we still know that there are lots of Jews around. Yeah. Fasting also is for repentance. Fasting gives us guaranteed victory. Guaranteed victory. And just, as I said earlier on, to worship God. So what we need to do is, in order to fast effectively this week, is we need to prepare spiritually. Sorry. We need to prepare spiritually. So, if you haven't, like um, Pastor Hilma mentioned this morning, if you already had wheat pigs and you're like, oops, well, I might as well finish it. Um, Today, when we go from here, go home, take your word, say, God, okay, I didn't start really. There's there's grace for you. Go back and ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want to see? What are you doing this time? Spend time with God, spend time in His word, and prepare yourself for the fast. Fasting is time bound. So we are doing it in our church for this week. We're only doing it for the week, seven days. So normally we ask how long. When you prepare yourself for a fast, you need to ask yourself, how long do I want to fast? Sometimes God tells you, I want you to fast for 40 days. And then he will give you the grace for 40 days. And if he says 21 days, he will give you the grace for 21 days. Some of you want to continue. Not a problem. As long as God has given you the grace to do that. Please carry on. Fasting has purpose. We don't just fast, we ask God, God, this is what I need. This is what we are trusting you. We're trusting to see God as the promise keeper made manifest here on earth. That is what we're seeking God for this, this time. So today, if you haven't already, write down what it is that you're trusting the Lord for and focus. The reason why we say write it down. During the week, the enemy can just bring a big issue at the office. Suddenly, oh Lord, I'm praying for this thing. You let go of the thing that you're trusting the Lord. You're no longer praying for that. So write it down and focus on it. Doesn't matter what is happening around you. Doesn't matter what distractions are happening around you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And then we couple that with prayer, reading the word, and spending time in worship. And we are doing it from the 17th to the 23rd of September. As we said, we break through. Lord, we want to see breakthrough, Father. To see the promises of God spoken over us individually, in our church, and for our nation. We want to see those come to pass. And we're going to meet here daily with God. We're going to meet with God. We're going to meet with each other. We're going to meet for personal reasons. We're going to meet for corporate reasons. We're going to pray. We're going to word. And we're going to worship. I am really so excited about what God is doing. I'm so excited about what God is doing. When people come together, God shows up. He says, where two or three of you are gathered in my name. I am there also. And this week, we will see God in such miraculous ways. If you've never heard from God, we believe in God with you that you're going to hear God this week. In whatever form you want to hear God, what works for you, what God knows you, the best way you're going to hear him. So as we said again, limit television, entertainment, and social media. The types of fast you can do. There's a one meal a day. So that means <clears throat> you drink water and maybe juice. And then you have one meal. Choose whichever meal it is that you want. Whether it's breakfast, whether it's lunch, whether it's supper. That's one meal a day. There's the partial fast in Daniel. Daniel had uh, the Daniel fast, which is also the Daniel fast where you you remove some food from your food list. So you only have vegetables and fruit. That's the Daniel fast. That's your partial fast. So you can choose that and say, God, I'm going to do a Daniel fast this week. You see, remember, God is not interested in, 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 in what kind of fast. It's just what you choose with God is what, you know, you and God decide. And if you choose to do a Daniel fast, God will honor that. And he will still answer your prayer. So it doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, I'm going to go for the full fast because that is the only fast that works. That's not true. And then there's the full fast. Esther literally, um, many times in the full fast, they said that people drink juice and water. But literally, I think she only went with water. That was it. It was like you, you neglect everything else, and it's just water during the seven days. And then the sexual fast, well, for the married people, you know what that means. I'm sure you have the scripture also. So in Daniel, he says, uh, Daniel said, please test your servants for the ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and drink. And then in Esther, um, she said, you know, Father, really, call the guys. Let's fast for three days, night and day. I will eat nothing, she said, and when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. But Esther's full fast was like in preparation. She was in preparation for what she needed to do. So she needed God's protection. And as I said already, guys, it's really to trust God to move on our behalf, to remind him of the promises he spoke of our lives, that we might see these promises fulfilled. And I just wanted to reiterate again, tonight is worship and declaration night from 6 to 8, and Between Monday and Friday, we're having prayer meetings here from half past five to half past seven every day. And yes, we are encouraging everyone to come. And then on Saturday, the 23rd of September, we're having a Passion Night. Write down what it is that you are trusting God for. Ask God, God, what is it? Remind me of that one promise that you want to make happen now. Ask Him, and He will tell you. I remember the one time we did a a 40-day prayer challenge. Uh, yeah, the intercessors like things. We did a forty-day prayer challenge, and, and God specifically said, "Like this is what you need to pray for." So we were praying for the building fund, and we asked God, "God, what shall what shall we pray for?" Please, I asked God, "What shall we pray for?" And God will tell you what it is that you need to pray for. So I just want to encourage us. I want to encourage us. I want us to to heed the call that has gone out, and that is, let us fast and pray this week. Let us seek God in humility. Knowing that we serve the miracle working God, a God of miracles, the God who is faithful, who is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. You might remember when you were small and your, you sent, your mother went to the shop and she said, stay here, I'm going to bring you chocolate. And then she never brought back and you are still holding that against her and you are 35. You know, like, <laughs> come on, man. Sorry, Shelly. <laughs> Uh, you're still holding that against your mother, the chocolate that she never bought. L- leave those things. Remember that God is not like that. He might do it for somebody tomorrow. But just to give you a reason, I feel, why God does that. It's because of purpose. It's because he's given each and every one of us Purpose. And sometimes you come to the fulfillment of something specific. And God needs to move you into the next season. So it's season. So don't look at your brother and sister. But God, I also prayed for a house. And Sister Susie got a house. And I didn't get a house. God knows what he's doing in Sister Susie's life. Yeah? Thank God. Uh, there's no Sister Susie in the church. Né? Good. That's it. Amen. Amen.